Great to be with you all. Welcome to those of you who are joining us over at our chapel, down at our Minnetonka campus, and online as well. Uh, My name is Dan Thorson. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Calvary. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue our series, uh, New Testament Postcards. We're looking at some of the, the shortest and often overlooked books in the New Testament. And although these are short, uh, as Scripture often does through the Spirit, God has important messages for us that, that challenge us and enable us uh, to live a faithful life serving and loving Jesus. So today we are looking at Third John. John was a disciple of Jesus Uh, He wrote the Gospel of John, an account of Jesus' life, uh, the book of Revelation, and then two other letters, 1 John and 2 John, hence 3 John. Uh, 1 John was written to uh, a group of churches in an area of the Middle East we now call Turkey. Uh, 2 John was written to one particular church, and 3 John is written to one individual. So he kind of goes big picture Uh, and then zooms in all the way to uh, this one friend of his named Gaius. And so as we begin today, I just want to read the whole book together, and don't be afraid, it's a postcard, so it's not that long. All right, so 3 John. This letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord, and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them, so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be a leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. When I come... I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do, he puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children And those who do evil prove they do not know God. Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius. This is probably the person who carried the letter. As does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him, and you know we speak the truth. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Your friends here send you their greetings. Please give my personal greetings to each of our friends there. All right, that's the the postcard of 3 John. And we're going to kind of work our way through the whole book this morning. But I want us to pay uh, special attention to verse 2. It says this, Dear friend, I hope all is well with you 
and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. The NIV translation puts it this way. I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. So John, this person who knew Jesus personally and was a follower and leader in the early church, talks about physical health in the same breath as he talks about spiritual health. So he cares about spiritual well-being. A couple of weeks ago, at the end of June, my family got to go for a week of family camp at Okoboji Lutheran Bible Camp in Northwest Iowa. It's a camp that I grew up going to. My family went from uh, the age of three to 18, and then I worked there for a few summers in college. And camp for me is really a a formational place. It's where God really got a hold of my heart. And it's where I began to take my spiritual health seriously really for the first time. And this week that we got to spend, it was really special to share that with my family and, you know, obviously with my kids to have all those experiences. But the speaker for the adults that that week was speaking all about the importance of spiritual well-being, spiritual health. So it kind of felt like I was coming full circle. And now we're back and we're here and we're looking at 3 John and we're going to talk about spiritual health. So I'm going to be using some of the things that we learned about at camp uh, with you this morning. I want us just to take a moment and do some self-reflection. Are you healthy, spiritually speaking? Do you exercise and eat well? Again, related to your spiritual health. Are you thriving? Are you being lazy? Do you feel like you're just coasting along on last year's gym membership? Now, I don't ask this to to make us feel bad. I mean, as I reflect even on my own, I'm like, hey, I think maybe I've been a little bit lazy when it comes to my relationship with God, when it comes to my own spiritual health. The point isn't to make us feel bad. The the point is to, to just take an honest assessment of ourselves. It's an important thing to do. See, this morning, my goal is that we will leave here taking our spiritual health a little bit more seriously than we did when we came in. I love what the Apostle Paul writes to another leader in the church, Timothy, in a letter. It's 1 Timothy 4, 8. He says this, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Now, I would guess that most of us would agree, at least in principle, with what Paul is saying. But I also think that most of us probably don't actually live that out. I would guess that most of us prioritize and care more about our physical health than our spiritual health. And hopefully this, mor- this morning we can begin to just balance that out a little bit. And I think that Third John gives us a couple of steps that will help us take our spiritual health more seriously. So the first step is this. We need to identify our symptoms. 
Identify your symptoms. Now, it's very normal, again, to have conversations with others about our diet, about our exercise, about our physical maladies, but this isn't as true when it comes to our spiritual health. And when I say spiritual health, I think that this includes our mental health, our emotional health. It's an overarching term. You know, when we're sick, when we're physically sick, we're very quick to go to the doctor. When we experience pain in our bodies, it's very normal to seek a remedy for that pain. And we're used to identifying symptoms of physical sickness. Uh, We have a a new member in our family. Uh, He's over here. My wife gave birth to our third child. His name is Theo. He was born on May 29th. I think I have a couple of pictures. There he is. Um, You can also uh, look at him sometime later if you'd like to to visit him. So uh, Theo has made our lives a little more hectic, way more tiring, uh, but we're really thankful that he's here. And for those of you who are parents, you know what it's like to have a newborn. And one of the things that kind of comes along with it is being hyper aware of any symptoms of sickness or discomfort because the last thing you want is an uncomfortable baby. Amen? Yes. So through this tried and true method of symptom testing, uh, we've determined that our baby, Theo, likely has an intolerance to lactose. I'll leave it up to your imagination to figure out what those symptoms are. Uh, But my wife has reluctantly given up dairy for the time being to remedy this situation. Uh, You can join us in praying that this is only temporary uh, for them because you can only live so long without cheese. Um, And so we, we would love to see resolution to that. But what if we took this method of symptom identification and applied it to our spiritual lives. See, in in 3 John, what we see John doing in this letter is identifying symptoms. He's identifying healthy symptoms, so symptoms of spiritual health, and negative symptoms, symptoms of spiritual sickness. And first, what he does is he points out Gaius' healthy symptoms. Look at verses 5 through 6. He says, Dear friend, You are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. Gaius is being hospitable to these leaders, to these teachers, to these strangers. And John recognizes that, hey, this is a sign of spiritual health. And so he's commending it. Galatians 5 is a place that we can look uh, for some examples of symptoms of spiritual health. Uh, It's where we find the fruits of the Spirit. And I want us to, to look at this together, verses 22 through 23 of chapter 5. It says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So I want us just to take a moment again to reflect and to assess positive symptoms of spiritual health. If you'd like, you could even take your phone out. You could jot down some notes, or if you have a pad of paper, or you can just 
meditate on it. What fruits of the Spirit, can we keep that scripture up? What fruits of the Spirit can you identify in your own life? Now, this isn't so we can, you know, pat ourselves on the back and feel really good about our effort. No, it's just to to acknowledge and recognize what God has done and is doing in our lives. Where do you see God's character in your life? God's patience, his kindness, his other-centered love. Where do you see the Holy Spirit making you more like Jesus? Again, it's okay to acknowledge these things. It's good to acknowledge these things. Now, the the second assessment is a little harder and maybe a little bit more uncomfortable. It's where we look at symptoms of spiritual sickness, spiritual unhealth. And John does this with the second character in his letter, Diotrephes, who's this other leader in a local church. This is what John says. We're going to just take it kind of line by line. He says, I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be a leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. This is a symptom for John of spiritual sickness. If somebody loves to be a leader, where it feels like their identity and worth is wrapped up uh, in being the person who's in charge, and they refuse to allow anybody else to do that, that's a red flag for John, and it should be for any of us. We don't want to follow leaders like that. This is a sign of spiritual sickness. John continues, he says, when I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Now, the spiritually healthy people that I know care very little for things like gossip or belittling others or accusing other people. They just can't be bothered all that much to care about what other people are doing. And when they do, if they do, they do it very carefully, patiently, with grace and wisdom. Not so true with Diotrephes. Again, this is a symptom of spiritual unhealth. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. So Gaius had a symptom of health where he was being hospitable. Diotrephes is the opposite. And this is a big deal for John. In fact, uh, we learn in Scripture that hospitality is a gift of the Spirit. And then finally he says, and when they do help, he puts them out of the church. Diotrephes is being unnecessarily exclusive, kicking people out for not agreeing with him. Now Galatians is helpful again here in offering some other examples of unhealthy symptoms. And so I want to look there. This comes right before the fruits of the Spirit. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now, you might not be used to thinking of these kinds of behaviors as symptoms. And honestly, neither am I. I mean, these are sinful actions, right? They're wrong choices. They're willful choices that are disobedient to God's will. They're deserving of judgment. And let me be clear that Scripture is very definitive that these are wrong. And living this way is against God's design for our lives. But what I've been learning is that we should also be approaching these kinds of behaviors with curiosity and not just judgment. Curiosity about why are these behaviors there? What's motivating us to act in these ways? What is the hurt, the wound, or the pain behind the symptom? Because I think it's when we begin to cultivate curiosity about these symptoms of spiritual unhealth that we can identify what's really going on behind them. And we can treat the sickness instead of just the symptom. Because maybe behind our symptoms, behind our sin, is fear or grief. A sense of loneliness or rejection. Maybe it's trauma Why do we all cope with life in these unhealthy ways? What needs are we trying to meet? Curiosity allows us to identify what's going on. So again, let's take a moment and just take a personal inventory. Reflect on your symptoms. Do you have any signs of spiritual sickness in your life? We all do. Where is there anger, impatience, pride, lust, callousness, bitterness? Do you tend to overeat, drink too much? What sins are a part of your life right now? And then instead of just condemning yourself for being a bad person, be curious. Why do I do that? What's motivating that? What's behind that? Just like we would with a physical ailment, we can go to the doctor. We can go to the great physician. We can ask God, God, what's the sickness beneath the symptoms? This is the the first step, I think, that God is inviting us to take as we begin to be more serious about our spiritual health. The second step is this, to follow your treatment plan. The summer of uh, 2013, I had the privilege of spending uh, an extended period of time in Brazil. I have family that are missionaries down there. And I also have a, a friend who lives in Rio. And so I got to spend a few weeks in Rio. And while I was there, he got pretty sick. I mean, he got a sore throat fever, sort of the works, and he went into the doctor um, to see what was going on. He came back, and I said, hey, like, you know, what, what's the problem? Did you get, you know, medicine? And he's like, my doctor told me to exercise more and eat better. I was shocked. That's not what the kind of medical care that I was used to. Um, I, I would have expected the, the doctor just to immediately want to treat the symptom, Right? 
Uh, I was used to, to going to the doctor and you're like, man, I have a runny nose and I can't get rid of it. And the doctor says, well, here's, here's a drug. Oh, I have a headache. Here's a drug. Oh, I can't sleep. Here's a drug. I sleep too much. Here's a drug. Right? It's all about uh, trying to remove the symptom. But not this doctor. The doctor was more curious about what's causing it. And so he gave him a treatment plan that would actually heal the cause, not just cope with or remove the symptom. And I think God is like that as well. He doesn't just want us to stop acting defensively. He wants to heal us from what lies behind our defensiveness. He wants us to know that we are valuable children of his so that we're not motivated and moved by our insecurities that cause us to bristle at any sort of sign of personal threat. God doesn't want us just to stop lying. He wants to heal us from our ego's desire to try to be somebody that we're not. He doesn't want us to just stop lusting. He wants to heal the wound that's causing us to cope in those ways. You know, the Greek word for salvation is sozo. Sozo is salvation. But this word is also translated as healing in many, many, many different ways. And so sozo means healing and it means salvation. Now, the New Testament also uses this word in three tenses, past, present, and future. And so it's very biblical to say that we have been saved, We are being saved and we will be saved. And then the same thing is true for healing. I have been healed. I am being healed. And I will be healed when Jesus comes again and makes all things new, including me. A relationship with Jesus is a growing healing experience. It's a lifelong treatment plan. You know, the church in general has negatively stigmatized mental health. And in some, wa- in some ways, we've minimized the importance of seeking remedies for that. And I think it's high time that we stop doing that. Because God deeply cares about our emotional mental and spiritual well-being. And he wants for us to be healed. John gives this instruction to Gaius. He says, Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Now this statement is a little bit overly simplistic, but as a generalized principle, this makes sense. The way out of sickness is to do what's actually good for us, to do what's healing for us, to take our medicine, to rest, to follow our treatment plan. Now, unfortunately, God doesn't give us a two-step formula for everything. He doesn't say, well, this is like a a two-week treatment plan and then you're good to go for the rest of your life. 
It's not as simple as just mustering up enough faith in the moment to heal all of our traumas, our pain, and our fears. It doesn't work that way. We can't just say one prayer that somehow magically makes us whole and all of a sudden we don't have any more insecurities. We don't have any more bad habits. We don't have any more negative thought patterns. It doesn't work that way. You know, I've, I've found that many people have become disenchanted with Christianity because they've been told an oversimplistic, almost magical, formulaic way that Jesus is supposed to make their lives better and, and solve all of their problems. Just pray about it. Just have faith. It's in God's hands. Now, although these sorts of things are said with good intentions, they often lead to people having really unrealistic expectations, and these lead to disappointment and frustration. What if I'm not healed physically, but also emotionally, mentally, spiritually? What if I'm not changed? What if my circumstances stay the same? What if this whole Christian thing doesn't make my life better? What if it doesn't work the way that people are telling me it's supposed to work? Now, in one way, shape, or form, I would guess that many of you in this room online wherever you're watching, have struggled with this kind of disappointment. I have too. And I'm really sorry. I mean, this can be deeply, deeply grieving and difficult. But this is why it's so important to understand the lifelong nature of God's healing salvation. And it's why we should put our ultimate hope in God's culminating act of redemption when Jesus comes to remake the heavens and the earth and when we will become fully whole and healed ourselves. But in the meantime, we follow our treatment plan. We follow the good. We follow Jesus. And bit by bit, the great physician heals us. Not by just treating our symptoms or moving us from one coping strategy to the next, but healing us from the sickness that lies beneath them. And again, there's no formula. There's many different things that, that we might need to do in order to, in order to be healed. It could include therapy. It often should include therapy. It could include just being by ourselves and unplugging from everything that distracts us so that we can actually figure out what's going on inside of us. I mean, that's a big issue for me. For most of my life, I just decided just to pretend I didn't have emotions because that was easier than dealing with them. And I didn't know that deep down there was something in me that said, well, my needs ultimately don't matter. There's a, there's a place of rejection in there that God is working with me in and healing me from. Again, there's no formula. But as Christians, as people who are following Jesus, who have this spiritual connection with our Heavenly Father... There are some tried and true habits that Christians for, for centuries have relied on as part of their treatment plans. And however God is going to work with you as you begin to take your health, your spiritual health, more seriously, I think that these three should be a part of that treatment plan for us. Surrendering prayer. Now I say surrendering because 
Sometimes we get stuck in a habit of prayer that just begs God to fix us. And our prayer is just, God help, God help, God do this, God help me, God fix this, God change my circumstance. Surrendering prayer is a little bit different. It's, it's prayer that lets go of our need for certainty and our need to guarantee a particular outcome. And it says, God, your will be done. God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in me, through me? God, where do you want to lead me? It's, it's surrendered. It's not grasping. It's not telling God what to do. It's being open to what God wants to do. The second one is thoughtful scripture reading. Again, we're not looking for just inspirational quotes to make us feel good that day. We're not looking for one-line cliche answers to complicated questions. But we're reading scripture again in a way that is open-hearted to engage the spirit of God for guidance, for transformation. Again, we're saying, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to speak to me through this passage? How are you forming me and challenging me through this? And then finally, intentional community. This is where we believe and trust that God is going to speak through other broken people, other brothers and sisters in Christ, even people that we don't see eye to eye with. We do not want to be like Diotrephes who just siloed himself And didn't want to hear anybody that didn't agree with him. That is a recipe for failure. Because we will be blind to our own faults, our own failures, our own inconsistencies, our own sickness. We need intentional community. It's where we're transformed and healed. Circles are better than rows, we like to say here at Calvary. Prayer, scripture, community. I think wherever we go from here... It should include, our treatment plans should include these three things. But again, there's no formula. There's no six-month guarantee. It's a whole life commitment to follow the good, to follow Jesus. Now, I love how John ends his letter. In fact, I think it sounds a lot like what God wants to say to you and to me as we start taking our spiritual health a little bit more seriously. So as we read this, I want to hear you to listen to it as God speaking to you. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Jesus has much more to say to each and every one of us. He wants to do it through relationship and peace. God's peace isn't dependent on all of our circumstances being perfect. I mean, John and Gaius's certainly weren't. God's peace is a byproduct of being with him, of walking by the spirit as he guides us and heals us. And even more importantly, peace comes when we understand that Jesus is there in our pain. Sometimes I feel like we don't sense God, we don't fully trust that he's with us because we're ignoring the very places in our lives that God wants to meet us in. Because we don't want to go to our pain and our struggles and our traumas and the hurt. And yet that's where Jesus incarnationally wants to come and speak to us and heal us 
and love us. And unless we open up the most vulnerable parts of ourselves, we won't allow God's love to meet us there and we won't experience the healing that he wants to offer us. So again, my prayer is that we'll leave here being a little bit more intentional and taking a little bit more seriously our own spiritual health. And I pray that as we do, we will become whole, healthier, individually, as families, in our marriages, and as a church. Let's pray. God, I praise you and thank you that you are a God that incarnationally comes and is the light shining in the darkness. In the places of hurt and pain, distress, grief, confusion, doubt. God, you want to meet us there. Father, healing is scary because it means that we have to admit we're sick. It means we have to look at our symptoms. It means we have to face some of the things that we desperately don't want to. So God, I pray that you give us courage, that you humble us, and that we meet you face to face so that you can shine your light, that you can show us your love, and so that we can be healed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.